following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. I don't know if you heard about the survey of evangelicals that Ligonier, which is R.C. Sproul's previous ministry, they defined evangelicals using four criteria, and you need to know these. An evangelical was one who believes the Bible, they believe, number two, in Jesus, they believe in the gospel, and they believe that the gospel must be shared. Those four truths were used to define an evangelical for this survey. You with me? Those four things about those who believe the Bible, believe Jesus, believe the gospel, believe in evangelism. And what they discovered was as they took this survey and they got the results, that they discovered that those who believe in the gospel, in evangelism, and in Jesus, and in the Bible, have no idea what they believe. Absolutely none. Here are some of the questions they have asked So, kind of secretly, I kind of want you to answer these questions in your own heart as we go through four of them. Are you ready? Number one, everyone is born innocent. Agree or disagree? Now, I I know you want to answer. That's great. And they did as well. Are you ready for this? Agree or disagree? Everyone's born innocent. 65% of them agreed that everyone is born innocent. 65%. A second question, number two, the Bible is not literally true. Agree or disagree? 55% said the Bible is not literally true, using those four-point criteria. Another one, number three, God accepts worship from all religions. 56% of evangelicals agreed. And the most telling question of all, number four, was Jesus a good teacher but not God? 43% of evangelicals agreed. Wow. Honestly, my beloved congregation, those answers are dystopian. All right? We have arrived at the end. It feels like the rapture should be in just seconds from now. Understand, the evangelical church has been so busy over the last 30 to 40 years trying to make non-Christians comfortable with an uncomfortable message. They've been trying to take the offense of the gospel out of the gospel, and basically they now have an evangelical movement that is now void of truth, of the truth. So why do they do this? Why do they try to, you know, do all these things and make it easier for the non-Christian? Because the gospel in truth is offensive. It is offensive. It is hated by non-believers. And today, the gospel is being attacked on multiple fronts, not by those who hate it, but by those who say they love it. And the greatest attack right now against the gospel is called social justice. You say, what in the world is social justice? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to answer this question by basically quoting from one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, okay? Vicini continues to repeat the word inconceivable. And finally, Enigo Montoya replies, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. 
And that's the secret to understanding social justice. It is not social, and it is not what? Justice. Biblical definition of justice is an attribute of God where God does what is right. Justice and righteousness, both Old and New Testament, are sometimes used interchangeably. So therefore, justice is God doing what is right or righteous, and God doing what is consistent with His character, and always doing what is best and, again, right or righteous. So true social gospel will be the church doing what is biblical in the world. What is right towards people in society. Not what feels right. Not what others think. Not what's politically expedient. Not that which is only compassionate. But what the Word of God teaches and God's character demands. But Enigno... He would say from the Princess Bride, that's not how social justice is being used today, all right? Social justice today is being thrown at Christians and pressed upon the church of Jesus Christ, but it means something totally different than biblical justice. Totally different. Today's definition, errant definition of social justice, now get this down, is doing what others say is deserved. Doing what others say is deserved toward pre-chosen groups. Doing what others say is deserved toward pre-chosen groups. Doing what others say. Who are the others? Well, the others are the media, politicians, social media gurus, left-thinking extremists, what they say. You say, well then who are the pre-chosen groups who are supposedly the most deserving? Anyone who's not a white male, all minorities, all women, all races except Caucasian, all countries except the USA, all prisoners, all homosexuals, all transgender, all confused, all child abusers, anyone who feels marginalized except for white males. Now, one more thing. Who are those who deserve the most, according to the false definition of social justice? Well, it's anyone who fits multiple categories that I just gave you. Like a Hispanic lesbian considering a gender change deserves far more than a white Christian female who are both trying to apply to UCLA. As skewed as all this is, there's something even far worse. And that's what should drive us crazy. Not the political environment, but the spiritual environment, because in the church, those who've bought the lie into this world's view of social justice have made God's gospel of grace conditioned conditioned on whether we embrace what the world says toward these pre-chosen groups, that we, that we bleed for these groups. So if you don't seek reparations to the black community, if you don't accept the homosexual as a Christian, if you don't embrace women preachers, if you don't make a place for the transgender in the church, then you can't be a Christian. You're not loving. And they've added the world's social issues as a condition for salvation by grace. And listen, anytime you add any condition to grace, it is no longer grace. You can't add anything to it. They would teach you, you can't really be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone unless you embrace what others say towards all these pre-chosen groups. And let me be really clear, and I want to be make sure you hear me on this. We Christians hate what society has done in the past and even currently to black, Chinese, American, Indians and a, a bunch of other people. True Christians love the homosexual. 
We love the woman preacher. We love the confused transgender. We love them. But their greatest need is not unconditional acceptance, never to embrace their sin as an alternative lifestyle. No, their greatest need is to turn from their sin and repentance and to follow Christ by faith. Amen? Their greatest need is to turn from the sin of homosexuality and violating God's design for men and women and in repentance follow Christ and turn to Him alone. God's Word is eternal. God's Word shows us God's character and teaches us what a sin is and what sin is not. God's Word alone shows us what God wants. God's Word teaches us what is right. Obedience to God's Word is what glorifies Him and God's Word alone shows us what is truly just. We reject any addition to the gospel of grace, any condition apart from true faith, and any salvation found by affirming man-made rules or ideas. Social justice is not social, and it is not justice. It is rebellion to God and His Word. It is rejection of God's character and rejection of God's law. It is making evil into good and good into evil, and it is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Say, Chris, why would you say all this? Because that's what the Galatians were facing. They were facing an attack against the gospel that was going to undermine the truth of the gospel. That was all introduction. Are you ready? Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 if you're not there already. We've been studying this verse by verse. And understand, Paul evangelized the churches in modern-day Turkey, which is the Galatia region. Churches were formed, and then he went back to Antioch. When he went back to Antioch, these false teachers made their way into these churches and began to teach Paul's wrong. Paul's kind of a warped apostle. He's, He's really making it easy for you. You really need to embrace the law. You really need to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. You really need to add the law and festivals and Jewish customs to your life in order to really be secure in Christ. And Paul said, no! Paul writes this letter back with very strong words saying, there is nothing you add to grace. There's nothing. It is a gift from God. Again, one more time. You all have this, but I want to remind you one more time. Every religion, even non-religious people, are trying to earn their salvation. They're working their way to heaven by doing things, by doing religiosity, by by doing penance, by doing all kinds of things over and over again to somehow be right with God. They're going to work their way step by step to heaven by being good enough. Only Christianity, only the Christianity from the New Testament, the way it's taught there, is that that will never work. The only way is that God did the work on your behalf. Are you with me? That's why it's good news. It's good news because God did the work. He bore all of God's wrath against your sin and my sin upon Jesus, poured it out there. When we put our faith in Him, which entrusting our lives to Him, He can cover us in His righteousness and make us in a perfect standing before God because to be right before God, you've got to be perfect, and you can't and I can't. So therefore, we need Christ's righteousness covering us so we can be made right before Him. That's the gospel, and that's why it's unique. And that gospel is offensive. I'm going to tell you why. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you multiple times today why it's offensive. Are you ready? Here it is. If you believe the true gospel, that means that you embrace that you are a wicked, defiled sinner by nature. Are you with me? 
That's offensive to people. Have you noticed? The second thing it does is it offends human pride because the true gospel says you can't do anything to earn your salvation. It has to be given to you. And human pride hates that. They hate it. So they want to work their way and there's got to be something i got to do. And God says, no. No, I've done the work on your behalf. That's salvation by grace, by God's gift, through faith in Christ alone. Are you getting it? That's so important you get that. Well, today, in chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, Paul's about to be as pointed, bold, and cutting as he's ever been anywhere in the New Testament. These are strong words today. And you will hear them from God to those who teach a false gospel. Why? Because what they're teaching is eternal. Listen, you may struggle. I'm a pre-tribulational rapture guy. You may struggle with that. I, I think it's going to be fun because I'm going to get raptured and I'm going to wave at you and go, you were wrong, okay? Okay, all right, so this is fun and God's going to take me home and it's going to be great. If I'm still alive, that'll be great. That's okay. You know, if you're not that, I, I'm, I love you, that's fine. But if you say, I'm going to add works to salvation or works to grace, I'm not going to be happy. And we're going to be on different ends of the scale because the gospel can only save you if it is truly by grace. The moment you add works to it at all, it becomes something that then leads you to eternal torment in hell. And that's why Paul's all worked up. He's working up because he's trying to save souls. And he writes strong words in Galatians because he's like, look, you cannot go down this road. If you do, it's going to wipe you out. Listen, truth matters. Would you agree? And us understanding the Bible and the one correct meaning of every verse of the Bible is massively important that you interpret the author's intended message using sound principles of interpretation. And you're trying to arrive at that because understand, if you don't get this right, then you're in trouble. It's big trouble. We can disagree on minor issues of doctrine. You cannot disagree on this issue. This issue determines heaven or hell. This issue determines whether you're a brother or sister in Christ. This issue, and even though it's not politically correct, overly Gentile, not even polite, or even trendy, what do you say to those who teach eternal error? What do you say to them? Well, Paul's going to tell us. He just lays it all out here with verses 7 through 12. I want you to read out loud because I know you love reading out loud. And do not miss Paul's just anger here who've just on those who have cut in, hindered, and disturbed the Galatians. Listen, there's a principle here that I want you to hear. You never mess with Christ's sheep. Okay, you know how mom and dad, sometimes you got a disagreement between you two and you, you go take it into the master bedroom because you don't want the kids to be entered in and divide up. You know, I'm of mommy, I'm of daddy. You don't want that, right? You want to be one unified front. Please nod your head just a little bit. Okay, you're with me on this? Thank you, thank you, Zarzosis. Okay, so understand you want to be united in the way that you present yourself. Well, it's the same thing in the church. you got issues on this front. It's like the leader's got to duke it out, but you don't manipulate God's people. You don't wound God's people. You don't try to gain a following to agree with you and divide up against other people in the church. You just don't do that. And Paul's going, look, we're not going to do that. Listen, listen to what they say, because whenever you mess with Christ's sheep, there's severe consequences. And you're going to see some of those today. Let's read it out loud, starting in verse 7. Everyone together, here we go. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. 
a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Wow, why so strong? These are not nice men. These Judaizers, these false teachers, are not spiritual leaders. They're not doing God's will. They're false teachers who are harming the bride of Christ. Right? So, sweet couple down here. Richard, what if there was someone in this room who was trying to poison Jackie? What would you think? Would it kind of get you all worked up? Yeah. You know what? These false teachers are poisoning the bride of Christ. And Christ is not happy. He's not happy with that. And so therefore, what are we going to do? Well, what do we say? How do we speak out? Well, look, number one in your outline, tell them they hinder the truth. Tell these people they hinder the truth. That's what Paul's doing. He says, verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, we love Paul because he, he must have loved athletics because he uses the athletics as an analogy of the Christian life. He uses wrestling and boxing, but most of all, he uses field and track, track and field. All right, how many run? Anybody run track? Anybody? So if you, there's always in every service some track runners. Great. Any quarter milers are here? Any? Okay, I want to talk to the quarter milers. Okay, so anyway, understand the Christian life is often compared to a foot race. Paul wanted to run his well. He says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I finished the course, but it's not a sprint. It's most often compared to a marathon race, 26 miles, 0.2 plus change. And it's no longer a short race, right? Our Christian life is a little bit longer. Would you agree? When the race is longer, a lot can go wrong. You can get dehydration. Uh, you can get cramps. You can get mental walls. But you can also be hindered by another runner. And there were some famous ones in the Olympics where there was, you know, hindering of one runner to another. Well, earlier in Galatians, Paul describes the seriousness of the false teachers adding law to the gospel. And he says, my ministry to you. I, I, I'm running in vain. All that effort that I had towards you, is that all in vain now? I was running in vain. You know, did that, that race, was that a waste? Well, here he describes the same fear because the Galatians entered the race really strong, but their endurance was faltering. Their endurance. Very important. Their entrance was strong, but their endurance was faltering and from the moment the gun sounded, man, they were out running ahead of the pack. And all of a sudden, they were believing in Christ and His death on the cross and taking the punishment for their sin. They were trusting in that. They were putting their faith in Him and His resurrection from the dead, securing their future. But suddenly, now they have a danger of being disqualified. Verse 7, you're running well. Who hindered you? Now, they were running well, meaning commendably, correctly, but then they were knocked off course. And hindering here has the idea of another runner cutting them off. Now, I learned this in Greece this last time, that a lot of races, not all of them, but a lot of races were not done on an oval. They were done in a straight line, and you went around a pole, kind of like when you're at summer camp, and you run around games, you know, and spin around the pole, and whatever. They would run down, turn around that pole, and run back. Well, the race is pretty clean at that point, but when you get to that turnaround point, the poles are close enough together that if you go wide, you're going to hinder another runner, and they, that happened a lot. 
That happened a lot, where a, a runner would drift over and then get in front of the other runner to keep them back so they could win. Does that make sense? And that's the word hindering. That's what's going on here. They're hindering the Galatians from something important. Look what verse 7 says. It says, take a look, what are they hindering from? From obeying the truth. Now, when you see a phrase like that in Bible study, you've got to go, well, was this phrase, obeying the truth, used elsewhere in the Bible? But more importantly, was it used in Galatians? Well, it was. Twice in chapter 2, obeying the truth is used to describe the gospel. So it's pretty obvious and pretty firm that you could say when he says they were hindering them from obeying the truth, it was really they were hindering them from obeying the truth of the, what? Gospel. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the gospel is good news, right? It means good news. Everybody with me? Good news. And it's good news because it's salvation by grace because God did the work, so we don't work for it at all. And it's faith in Christ now and trusting in His death for sin and His resurrection to new life. It's trusting that God did the work. Well, the truth needs to be obeyed. You say, what do you mean by that? Embraced. Listen, you could be here this morning and in your head going, I believe that Jesus is God the Son. I believe that he came and died for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. But then not embrace that. You follow what I'm saying? You would not surrender to him. You would not put your faith in him. You just believe it. But you're not saying, he's my life. I'm putting my trust in him. I'm entrusting myself to him. That's a big difference. And that's what was hindering the Galatian false teachers Those Judaizers are keeping the Galatians behind them, hindering them from embracing the gospel of grace. That it's totally of God. These false teachers were hindering them from embracing Christ by grace through faith. And so Paul wants you to go, look, when you're talking to a guy and it becomes an eternal issue where they're keeping them basically from heaven, you want to make sure you tell them you're hindering the truth. You're hindering the truth. Secondly, Paul says to them, they are not of God. Tell them they're not of God. Verse 8, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Now, when Paul says, who cut in, they all know. It was the Judaizers preventing them from getting to true salvation because they're adding the law of Moses, they're adding festivals, they're adding circumcision to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Look at that word at the beginning of verse 8 because it's scary. See the word persuasion? See it there? You know what that means? They're confident. They're, They're confident and they're certain. And they have convictions. And Paul says, yeah, they're confident. But they're not right. He says, those confidences are not from God. This is a great reminder because this text tells us false teachers are sincere, they're convinced, they're confident, they blog all day, they do podcasts all day long, but their beliefs are false. They're very sincere, but they're sincerely what? Wrong. Paul insists their teaching did not come from God. And he's really clear here. He says the God who actually saves, the God who actually calls believers to himself so they can be saved. Did you catch that? The ones who call. 
Now you say, what does that have to do? Well, listen, God uniquely identifies God here as the sovereign one who effectually calls all who believe. Listen, if you were saved, you know what you were? You were dead, right? Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and said, does everybody know what dead means? It means you don't respond. It means you're not there anymore, that you're separated. My brother's a doctor, and during his med school, he brought me into the cadaver room. Twelve dead bodies covered with heavy plastic sheets. Very creepy, okay? And he's showing me his particular cadaver that he's working on. And he says, Chris, touch it. I go, no. I ain't going to do it. No, I want you to touch it. No, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to. No, I don't, I don't. Touch it. Okay, big brother talk. So I punched it. I thought, forget it, okay, I'm not going to touch it, I'm going to punch it. You know what that body did? Nothing. Because nobody's home. The separation of their spirit and body has already occurred, they're dead. When you're dead, you don't respond, and you're dead in your sins if you're a non-Christian. God has to make you alive so you can respond to Him in repentance and faith. That's what He means when He calls you. When He calls you here, He turns on the light, and He says, Now you can respond to him. That's what the Bible teaches. Look at it. It's everywhere. Romans 8.30. To those he predestined. I already elected you in eternity past. I predestined you. He also what? Called in time. And those he called in time. He awoken you. He also what? Justified. That means he saved you. And those he justified. He also what? Isn't that the best ever? If you are saved. You're going to heaven. If you are saved. Nothing can stop you. Now you might veer off. You might get in trouble, God may swat you along the way, or God may even take you home early, but He's bringing you home. If you're His genuine child, you are stuck in the family of God, and all God's people said, amen, I am glad to be stuck, because if it depended on me, I'd be in trouble, but it depends on Him, and therefore I'm okay. And understand, that truth to work of salvation is entirely God's doing. Not your doing. God is completely sovereign, calling you to himself in order to be saved. Any teaching that, that proclaims the gracious work of God in saving men is insufficient, like it's not good enough, is wrong. It's error. It's false. Yet the New Testament, this is the great balance, also teaches that you and I must believe in Christ. So God calls you, but you must believe. And it's the same context. Look at John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? Draws him. And that's a forcible draw. But interesting enough, John 6, 47, just a few verses later, three verses. Truly I say to you, he who, what? Believes has eternal life. God must call you, you must believe. True salvation is of God, but you must believe. Listen, is God sovereign or are you responsible? Answer? Thank, thank you very much. Is Jesus God or is Jesus man? Answer? There you go. You say, Chris, I don't understand that. Praise God. Let God be God. There is no work, no religious act, no circumcision, no law keeping. It's all grace. And here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul is being very pointed. He says, this false legalism, this false teacher stuff, adding ceremony to your gospel, adding conduct to your gospel, adding circumcision to salvation, did not come from God. In fact, Paul has already said that very clearly in this letter. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, they were saved, love this phrase, by the grace of Christ. Don't you love that? 
Uh, Philip Ryken writes this, and I love Philip Ryken. He said, grace is something you do not deserve. You should have a little smile on your face right now. It is unmerited favor. Grace is the gift of God's forgiveness for those who trust in Jesus Christ. And since grace, this quote is in your outline, involves forgiveness, the free gift of divine grace is only for sinners. The one who calls is God. The one He calls are sinners. And the way He calls them is by His what? Grace. Judaizers taught people you got to be circumcised, you got to be a Jew, you got to do all this stuff in order. They're adding human works to divine grace and they're hindering the Galatians, verse 7. And, and basically, Paul tells them, verse 8, that's not of God, it's of the father of lies, the devil himself. The devil knows you cannot work your way to heaven. So anytime you trust yourself rather than trust Christ, that confidence, if you're confident in that, that persuasion, just like verse 8, is demonic. It's not divine. You cannot trust yourself. You only trust Christ. Any addition to salvation by grace is of the devil. Tell them they're not from God. Number three in your outline. Tell them they contaminate the church. They contaminate the church. What effect did their errant persuasion have on the Galatians? Well, verse 9 gives us the well-known proverb, a little leaven leavens the whole what? Lump of dough. And those of you who are bakers, you understand. This is from the school of bakery. All right? And bread does not rise unless the dough contains a little active culture of yeast. But all it takes is a pinch of yeast. And it can leaven the whole loaf. It eats up the sugar and all that kind of stuff. The NIV translated it this way. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Friends, listen. Just a pinch of law thoroughly contaminates the whole gospel of grace. Just a pinch. You know, one of yeast's properties is that it basically spreads throughout the dough. And Paul's telling the Galatians that yeast is the teaching of the Judaizers. Their yeast was adding works to faith as essential for salvation. And in particular, they were telling the Galatians to get circumcised. That was kind of their foot in the door. Hey, you got to get circumcised. Once you do that, then, you know, the festivals and everything else is going to follow. And so Paul recognized that all the trouble in the Galatian churches is kind of sorting out and really focused on that one single error to get circumcised. Then the rest of the law, they'd be accountable for So they're overturning the gospel of grace by getting them to get circumcised. Again, there's nothing wrong with circumcision. But when you make circumcision a requirement for salvation, now circumcision is bad. You with me? That's when it turns bad. And it's ignored. And when it's ignored, theological error is deadly. It's deadly. Each fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith is interconnected to all the others. To get one of them wrong is to threaten the whole system of doctrine. Are you hearing me? A little error messes up your entire belief system. You see, Chris, you're overreacting. Chris, you're being extreme. No, I'm not. Circumcision may not seem like such a big deal to you. But if the Galatians allowed themselves to be circumcised, they'd end up denying two central doctrines of the Christian faith. Two. They would be denying denying the doctrine of the atonement and the doctrine of justification. They'd be saying, when it comes to atonement, that Christ's death on the cross was not enough. When Jesus said, it is finished, they say, no, it's not. You've got to do more. Right? And so they would say 
their need to have something more to atone for sins, thus denying the sufficiency of Christ's atonement. In justification, they'd be saying you could not be justified by faith alone, but only by faith plus works, and thus they deny the biblical doctrine of the justification. Do, would you agree that truth matters? Sound doctrine matters. Tell them that they're contaminating the church with this truth. You may struggle over minor doctrines, but you cannot struggle over the gospel and not have it become a serious issue. Number four in your outline, tell them they will be judged by God. Tell them they will be judged by God. What will happen in Galatia is basically Paul was confident that the Galatian Christians would eventually come to their senses and return to the truth and reject legalism of the Judaizers. What does he say? Look at verse 10 at the very beginning. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. The apostle was really not so much confident in the Galatians as he was in the Lord. Listen, when you are a Christian and you drift away, guess what God does? He spanks you and gets you back on track because he's a loving parent. Or he takes you home. But he's not going to let you wander away. He's going to take care of that if you're truly his child. So understand, when he says that, he basically says, look, I'm going to bring you back. But Paul was also confident that those who are preaching a false gospel would come to an unhappy end. Take a look at the second half of verse 10. It says, but the one who's disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Now, this kind of makes reference that there might have been a ringleader among the false teachers and the Judaizers. Paul doesn't name him or doesn't know who he is. But he knows that that guy and those men are going to have to answer to God for causing this trouble. Again, one more time. Never mess with Christ's what? Don't, you don't mess with the sheep. Man, you don't mess with the sheep. You don't diss them. You don't hurt them. You don't abandon them. You don't distort them. They don't use them as a manipulation. You don't make them take sides. You don't do that. That man, talked about in verse 10, those men are disturbing. That word disturbing is unsettling, throwing into disorder God's people. And the judgment for them is not a parking ticket. It's great white throne eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. The day will come when every error will be exposed and God's truth will reign supreme. Listen, I know some of you are looking at our society and looking at the church and you're kind of discouraged. So let me encourage you. Don't be discouraged by the unbelief of errant theologians. Don't despair by the spread of the cults. Don't be disheartened by the slow decline of sound doctrine and healthy churches in our day. The day will come when every false teacher will be judged for every false word tell them they're going to be judged on eternal issues. Not rapture, on eternal issues. Number five, tell them to stop persecuting those who are true. Tell them to stop persecuting those who are true. Look at verse 11. But I, brethren, if I am still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Listen, false teachers will persecute True teachers. False religion will constantly be the number one aggressor against the truth. Listen, when we get persecuted, it'll be religion that goes after us. Religion. Because Satan fights God and satanic religion fights the true faith. But along with all the other deception and lies of the Judaizers, these false teachers claimed 
they're claiming, are you ready for this? Hang on to your seats now, that Paul was teaching circumcision. What? They were saying that. Now, why did they say that? Well, it could be that Paul always sought to reach the Jewish people first. It could be that Paul maintained some of his Jewish culture in his own life, not those that were compromising the gospel, but other customs he might follow. And he even had Timothy circumcised in order to minister to the Jews. But Paul adds, listen, if I still preach circumcision like I did when I was an unsaved Pharisee, why am I still persecuted by the Judaizers? That's a great question, isn't it? I mean, as long as Paul was preaching circumcision, no one would persecute him. But he's persecuted up and down Asia Minor because the Jews hated the law-free gospel. And so persecution was Paul's proof. Look, (laughs) understand, he did not preach circumcision because he's still being persecuted. He'd been beaten, arrested, imprisoned, stoned, left for dead because Paul taught salvation was God's gift without circumcision. Through faith in the finished work of Christ, no law, no traditions, no customs, no festivals, no social issues, no social justice, no circumcision. You don't add anything to the gospel. You don't add anything to free grace, ever. Otherwise, it's not grace, it's not a gift. Paul already explained in this letter, he could never advocate circumcision because it would Chapter 2, verse 21 in Galatians, nullify the grace of God. And chapter 2, verse 21, Christ would then have died needlessly. But Christ didn't die for nothing. Look what Paul adds in verse 11 here, the second half. Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. The cross was a stumbling block to the Jewish people. They could not picture their victorious and mighty conquering going to wipe out the Romans' Messiah hanging on a cross and suffering to die for sins. They could not imagine that. Couldn't even see it. If the cross then also obliterated true Judaism of the Old Testament, how much more did the cross obliterate the false man-made Judaism of the scribes and Pharisees and Judaizers and all their tradition? See, understand, the gospel of grace wiped out the Jewishness of the Mosaic law and circumcision. So the Jews stumbled over the cross of Christ and grace because it nullified not only the true Mosaic law, but also their false, highly revered rabbinic tradition. Both of them. The cross, by the way, still offends your friends. One more time. Why? Because when you believe in the cross, you believe that your friends are desperately sinful. And they really can't come to Christ until they admit, I'm by nature a sinner, and I'm defiled before God as a sinner, and I need Christ's righteousness. Right? they got to get there or they can't get saved. They have to admit that they're a sinner before a holy God. And, here's the tough part, they can't earn it. It has to be given to them and that really harms human pride. Are you with me? So those are the two big offenses of the gospel. You're a corrupt sinner. By the way, I own it. By nature, a corrupt sinner stand condemned before a holy God and was given grace. Anybody else with me? That's the truth. And the second thing is that my whole life I was trying to earn it until I realized that Christ said, no, I'm going to give it. It's something that you respond to that I've done the work and you put your trust in my work. Are you with me? But that's offensive. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. All people are prone to trust what they can do for themselves and they're offended 
when they're told that they can't do nothing at all to get saved. To preach the cross invites persecution because it is the supreme offense to works, righteousness, and human pride. Get that down. Peter boldly proclaimed before the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Remind them why they hate the truth, and it's their human pride and trying to work their way to heaven, and stop persecuting the true who are sending that message and giving that message. So, number six, tell them they should be cut off from God's people. They should be cut off from God's people. Paul closes his case against the false teachers with his harshest statement ever. He's so passionate because, again, he's dealing with eternal issues that he actually says that the heresy of the Judaizers, that he wished that they would mutilate themselves. Look at verse 12. I wish that those who are troubling you would even what? Mutilate themselves. Mutilate is, literally means to cut off especially a member of the body, the word has often used of castration, and that is exactly what Paul means here. Wow! If the Judaizers were pressing the Galatian Christians to get circumcised, Paul almost wishes that the knife would slip and they'd end up castrating themselves. Talk about a cutting comment. That's got real edge to it, doesn't it? Most likely... Paul is referring to what they all were familiar with in the first century there in Galatia, the cult of Sibele. Now, you don't know this, but it was a popular pagan nature goddess in the Galatian region during Paul's day, and many devout male worshipers in the cult castrated themselves, and all the priests were self-made eunuchs. And Paul's not expressing some sort of cruel desire for the Judaizers to be punished. He already told us in verse 10 that God would take care of their judgment. Now, just, just an aside for a moment, just in case, are you trusting God's judgment for those who've hurt you? Because we got to get there. Do you agree? We have to say that vengeance is his, not ours. And, and Paul's doing that. He's not saying, I, I want to... He's going, God's going to take care of that in verse 10. Rather, look what he says in verse 12, very carefully. Paul spoke of them of mutilating, get the word now, themselves. His point was, if the Judaizers are so insistent on circumcision as a means of pleasing God and gaining salvation, why don't they go all the way and castrate themselves as the supreme act of religious devotion, just like the pagans do in the cult of Sibelian? In other words, like the cult of the Sibeliites, they believe in human achievement to earn God's favor. So why don't you do the ultimate human achievement and work and why don't you go to the pagan extremes of self-mutilation like the Sibelian priests? That's what he's saying. Paul's reminding you, that's right. Paul's reminding his readers that these Judaizers were troubling the Galatians. Look at verse 12 again. I wish that those who are troubling you, that means unsettle you, disturb you, throw you off balance. It's like pushing a runner down. You're running your race, they pushed you down. And troubling is actually a strong term. It's used elsewhere to describe political subversives who cause uprisings. And so all of this helps you to grasp God's hatred for theological error, which affects eternity. One more time. Theological error that affects eternity. And God's hatred toward those who would foster any disunity in our midst, in the midst of the local church. Underneath, I believe, these cutting words and cutting off and troubling is probably an encouragement 
especially because these are eternal issues, the Galatians would remove these false teachers from their midst. Cut them out. I think that's implied here because you're going to get there in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He's actually going to state it. So, like Titus 3.10, reject the factious man after first and second warning. Or even Romans 16.17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you have learned. What's the teaching? Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Turn away from them if they contradict that. God does not allow those who teach error or create disunity to remain in a local church. To add any human effort, any action necessary to God's gracious salvation is to exchange the gracious gospel of Christ for a damning works salvation of paganism ultimately sending you to hell. We need to be upholding that truth and pushing away those who would teach contrary to salvation by grace through faith. Cut those false teachers out of the church. Take this home with me if you would. Letter A, become a Berean. Become a Berean. You know what that means. You know Acts 17, 11. Now these were more noble-minded than the, those in Thessaloniki, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things are true. Listen, parents. Can you biblically explain why women aren't to be pastors? Tongues are not a prayer language. Evolution is a lie. The church is shepherded by elders. God is sovereign in salvation. You must believe. Marriage is God's design. There are only two genders, and practicing homosexuals cannot be Christians. Can you not only show them, but explain to them? That's your job. We have sermon series that will help you with that, tough stuff, and we offer classes, discipleship training, etc. The question is, do you want to be taught? Anything and whatever is keeping you from learning God's Word is not of God. It's not of God. Let her be. Strive again, one more time, to live by grace and truth. I've said it before, we'll say it again. In John 1.29, the apostle affirms Christ was full of grace and truth. Christ never compromised the truth. He was always full of grace. His truth cleaned out the temple. His grace turned water into wine. He was full of grace and truth. Some of you are more gracious than truthful. Some of you are more truthful than gracious. But don't be content to stay there. Strive to be both like Christ. That's our goal, to be like Him. You're saved by truth. You're sanctified by truth. But you only glorify God when you are gracious while speaking the truth. Listen, Jude, who is dealing with false teachers and people who have been manipulated by false teachers, listen to his graciousness in Jude 22 and 23. He says, have mercy on some who are doubting, those who are struggling, and save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. The the false teacher, they're distorting the truth. But love them to the gospel. Strive to become full of grace and truth. Listen, Never, ever compromise the truth. Tell them the truth, even if it's offensive. They're going to have to be told they're a sinner. That's offensive. They're going to have to be told they can't earn their way. That's offensive. Tell them the truth, but tell them. Would you tell them? Tell them the truth. Right now, our junior high and high school are having some incredible fruit on campus. As they're visiting campuses, non-Christian, as there's 40 non-Christian junior hires showing up, and they're asking questions like, how can I be forgiven? Pray for them, but also take that as a mandate for you to go, there's people I need to share with. 
There's people I need to communicate with. Listen, don't compromise. Speak the truth. Love them, but tell them the truth. Even if it's offensive. Which leads us actually to letter C, embrace the offense of the cross. It's going to offend. 1 Corinthians 1.23, preach Christ crucified to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. Gentiles think you're a joke, you're a fool, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Cross brings out this stumbling block, and the stumbling block, the word actually means scandal. It's an obstacle that many trip over, a scandal that many are bugged by. It is the biggest offense, the worst scandal, a difficult stumbling block that keeps family, friends, and enemies from Christ. But listen, to the Romans, it was a massively gruesome means of execution, so much so they wouldn't allow a Roman citizen to be crucified. To the Jews, they couldn't imagine their Messiah on a cross, and so therefore to your friends, and maybe even to you, it's hated. Why is it hated? Because again, Christ suffered and died on that cross, not for his sin, but for whose? Yours. Means you're a sinner, and you stand condemned before God, and you're headed to hell unless you're depending on him. That God's punishment for your sin fell on Christ instead of you. Your sin falls on him, his righteousness covers you. And secondly, you need to understand that they need Christ. They need to cry out to Christ. They need to realize, not just as, as a prayer, but they in their heart of hearts recognize, I can't do this. Only Christ can. And that is against your pride, and that destroys your belief in what our culture holds as highest, which is self-help. I, I love the way that H.B. Charles said it. He says this, in salvation, we do our part and God does his part. And I don't like that. I don't like that phrase. But listen to how he finishes. In salvation, we do our part and God does his part. What's that? We do the sinning and God does the saving. Are you ready? That's how it works. And listen, many today will think well of you until you begin to tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no Buddhist, no Muslim is ever going to come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's it. They're going to be offended as soon as you say it. And listen, the only medicine that can cure you before God in His condemnation and your heart right now, which is saturated with sin, the only medicine is held by Jesus Christ and He will give it to you for free. You just need to ask Him. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word and use this time to change our lives. We pray that you would be pleased with how we respond and we'll give you the glory for what you'll do. We thank you again for being a God who is merciful and gracious and saves us not by what we do, but by what you've done. And so we are so thankful and thankful that you hold us and keep us. And we pray, Father, that we might be even more bold to share the truth with those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.